Welcome to Armchair Producers. This is episode 126. After a very long hiatus, we do apologize for the delay for all of our fans and listeners out there, but we are back and we are ready and raring to go with our standard monotony as you well expect from the Armchair Producers. Now let's just sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to Armchair Producers. We are at episode 126 after one hell of a hiatus where I went back to the dark ages and had no internet for quite a while. I don't know how I survived. I may not have. That may explain the smell. But I am your perennial host, George Perrin, alongside the man, the myth, the talent, the typist. Mr. Travis Croft, how are you? I am fine and dandy. Thank you very much. Uh, welcome back to the land of a living. Um, uh, some people pay good money for that, by the way, what you just went through. Uh, they call it a, a digital it's detox. one of those things on Facebook. So like, oh, would you give up the internet for six months here and earn half a million? It's like, yes, I did that and I didn't get the money. Yeah, ripped <laughs> off. Yeah, I mean, even people in like on oil rigs and shit in the middle of the ocean have internet, but not the Yarra Valley. That's how we like to do it in Australia. No, uh, that's yeah. why their alcohol business is booming. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, imagine. I understand, though, it was closed during um, during lockdown, so that was a bit of a cruel joke. Yeah, so it's like, oh, yes, I'm literally opposite a winery that I can't go to or get any wine from. Mm. Mm. Well, I we are back. Like of alcohol, but now I have four pints. This that's is right. brought to you by four pints. Pints. Send us free shit for pints. Yes, four pints. Really? We will. Four pints. Yeah. Um, we have dozens of people who sometimes listen to the show who might consider <laughs> buying your beer if they're in this country, which most of them aren't. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we're you nice know? guys. Yeah. Um, it's going to be a packed show as a result, right? It's a, it's a packed show because there's been shit to watch. There's been things to finish and we've been able to actually go and experience the cinema again Ooh, crazy it's all crazy i've been to the cinema twice since mm. lockdown ended um and it is an interesting experience in melbourne right now mm. in the sense you have uh maybe 800 900 000 new cases of COVID a day or mm. should i call it the uh unspecified virus of unknown origin mm. um and uh you know so there's a very good chance that the person sitting behind you <laughs> well, there's a better chance than ever before the person sitting behind you in the theatre has it. And, um, well, uh, you know, it's we're, we're right on that precipice in Australia where we're about to hit the 90% double vaxxed thing and restrictions are going to change again, apparently. And, like, um, when I went to the cinema, I'm, I presume it was the same for you. I had to prove that I had my, right. my double dose. And... Um, that's going to become even more stringent in other areas. Like I work for, I work in retail. That's non-essential. We're going to be having to police that as well. But honestly, I love social distancing in the cinema. I really do. I I went to the um, cinema Nova in Carlton to see Nitrum, who I will give a little bit of a talk about later on. And there was none. There was no social distancing in the theater at all. Really? It was in it was in theater the size of your living room, um, and uh, literally, I'm not joking. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, there was there. You sit wherever the fuck you want, you know. No, no distancing. Just yeah, I think okay. I didn't have to sit next. But I know, I know when we we opened up last year, and I went and saw um, a tenant, 
and I remember doing that at the theater I went to. Um, but like yeah. there was like nobody else within like ten meters of me. I'm like, I fucking love the new world of cinema. Sure, cinema doesn't enjoy it very much, but um, yeah, what can you do? Um, uh, yes. I'm just glad to be back uh, and being able to see all the things that we were denied for so long. Um, uh, yeah. including uh, two new Marvel products. Yep. Um, and new James Bond. Bond. Uh, I think we're getting, we haven't got it yet, but I mean, Dune will be coming soon. Uh, and then we're getting the, the um, the sequel to, um, Venom as well as coming oh, yes. very soon. And not to mention the, the piece de resistance of all this Spider-Man No Way Home. <laughs> I just well, saw the trailer today. Launching off that, should we go and talk about Spider-Man's new trailer, trailer two for Far From Home? Let's get into something we actually supposed to people tuning for. Um, mm. I am close to losing my shit. It was it like I, I've been critical of Marvel trailers many times because I mm -hmm. don't know that they do particularly well, probably because they don't have to. You know, like mm. you know, people are going to turn up anyway, so you know yeah. they could just have like a, a fat guy in a bunny costume and going Shang Chi. Comes out next week. Fucking see it, all right? You know, like <laughs> that would be an amazing trailer. <laughs> you know, um, but like and people would go, oh, okay, new Marvel film, cool, no worries. Um, yeah. But this one, cool. I mean, we already had the teaser mm. a couple of months ago, I think, mm. um, where we got the reveal of uh, Doc Ock at the end mm. of a trailer. You know, Hello, Peter, and you're like, oh, okay. I think we all suspected it was going to be the, the multiverse kind of colliding entry point mm. for. Um, for, for the Marvel Universe with Doctor Strange and, and doing his thing. And um, we also had the hinting at um, Green Goblin, but this one kind of a new trailer reveals quite a bit more. So yes. it sounds a lot like Willem Dafoe's back. Yeah. Uh, which I'm fucking hoping that would be awesome. We have, again, the original Doc Ock, and I am disappointed I can't remember the actor's name right now off the top of my head. Um, but he was the a guy who, at Alfred the start Lee. of... There we go, from Melina, the guy who gets killed at the start of uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yes. Um, <laughs> and, of course, we've got um, Sandman in there. We have Electro. Mm -hmm. I, I, I've got to be honest, I haven't jumped on the IMDb page. I assume that's Jamie Foxx. Um, it sounds like his voice. So I presume so, but who knows? It looked like Jamie Foxx. It sounded like him. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, we've got um, a black costume Spider-Man. Is that better? I don't know. Uh, that's not Venom. I think that's because um, he's also there was that moment where he's doing kind of like magic shit on his arm as well. So I don't know whether that's a, a dark Spider-Man, a bad Spider-Man or something like that, which I wouldn't necessarily be surprised about. But um, yeah, you know, yeah, Jamie Foxx is listed. Jamie okay. Foxx is in the cast as is Thomas Haddon Church. So They'll be re uh, and Reese Evans, so they they would all be um, reprising their characters from um, yep. the previous films. I mean, and I guess the money shot here, which they didn't give us, is um, will we get Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield mm -hmm. in some sort of magical crossover event? Mm. Who knows? I mean, I would my vibe is that they will, just because people really think they will, and mm. if they don't. People are going to be pretty disappointed. And, I mean, obviously, that is no guarantee, but I would have thought that they might have come out and said, look, it's not happening. I just built it, set expectations to low. You're mm. not getting Toby Maguire and Andrew Garfield in here. 
Yeah, I feel like it's to from, from what we've seen in the two trailers, I think that there's not actually going to be too much of what is comically in as in in the comics referred to as the Sinister Six actually all fighting Spider-Man throughout the whole thing. It kind of looks and feels like it builds up to like there's that that shot at the end of the trailer where there's kind of Electro there with giant face of Sandman and everyone and there's just one Spider-Man just coming in at nighttime around I think it's the I think it's around the um, the Statue of Liberty or something like that a big monument to Captain America or something I can't remember. Um, I get the feeling that that is like the last third. And it might end up resulting in some kind of sacrifice to help just send them back to the universes that they're supposed to be. And that might be when we, there's that very obvious teaser line of, I can't do this, I can't save everyone. And you know that there's going to be some form of line coming up. You don't have to. And then just these other yeah, two yeah. swing in. Maybe even a third Spider-Man and they use this to introduce Miles Morales into the MCU as well. That would Which be cool, or big... even you know, they go full Spider Verse. Mm. You know, um, I, how we know Marvel is big on um, building up its representation. Mm. Now we have Asian mm -hmm. superheroes. Um, you know, we've had uh, the, the real investment into female-led superhero films, LGBT mm. characters. Mm -hmm. This would be a wonderful opportunity to bring in a Spider Gwen. You know, mm -hmm. um, yeah, coming like that. But you're right, yeah. Um, if they bring out their spider ham, I am going to be losing my shit. Um, if you haven't seen into the spider verse, by the way, people, it is argue. I, I think actually is the best Spider-Man film that's ever been made. Be cool. It's um, hard to challenge that. It's hard to challenge that. Um, the thing that I, I think everyone needs to remember for this as well is this, this movie has always been on the books to happen before Dr. Strange multiverse of madness. So the fact that this is the movie we see that, are, depending on how you look at the events of WandaVision and Loki and how that ties in, if those three season endings all happen at the same time, which there's a lot of theory that it is, as well as this Doctor Strange fuck-up, then not there's not really going to be much genuine resolution of the danger the danger is still going to persist because there's Doctor Doctor Strange movie coming afterwards, so it's going to be an interesting way. How are they going to end this? It's it's hmm. uh, interestingly um, uh, the same director of his film is set to direct the Fantastic Four, so who knows what um, apparently that's okay. in pre-production at the moment. I mean, mm -hmm. everyone who's ever seen any of the Fantastic Four movies today would be a little bit skeptical, but mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm excited. It looks amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's a great trailer. Should we slide sideways in and talk about something else that happens in the multiverse? Absolutely. Let's go. And that would be uh, the Marvel, what, the latest Marvel, uh, sorry, Disney Plus series, um, mm -hmm. Marvel's um, What If?, um, the animated series, which we started, I think we maybe the first two or three episodes in before, yeah. Um, the um, the uh, yeah, the wine incident where he was sent out to wine country, it's out to pasture. <laughs> um, um, 
And uh, we've been a little critical as parts of it, especially we were very critical mm-hmm. of the first episode. I think mm-hmm. we were very disappointed with the animation. The voice work was pretty questionable in mm-hmm. the first episode. You were pretty, pretty hard on it in the second episode mm-hmm. as well. Um, how did you feel now that you've seen the whole whole run? What did you, how did they pull it back? I've had time to think about this. And my the biggest problem that I have with the whole thing is they messed up the delivery of this. And it's supposed to be set in different multiverses, in, in multiple universes. And then the finale, when you bring together this what-if multiverse Avengers team, why, oh, why didn't they take this opportunity to... I still think it was a missed opportunity to go the Animatrix, where they have different animation styles to really denunciate the different universes i think that would have worked it worked really well in into the spider-verse which we were talking about just now you can absolutely do it the other thing that i felt was a major problem with the show overall was there's some episodes like the captain carter one which was essentially just a gender swap and a little bit of like oh there's an iron man suit here um that didn't really do anything didn't really serve anything and then there was stuff like the 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 um zombies marvel zombies one which actually had some really interesting stuff going on but they rushed through it and then they had in the last thing they sort of like they just threw gamora and iron man from a different universe into it because they wanted gamora in there as well it's like why, why are you doing this why are you rushing and slowing down all this stuff this is literally your show you could have had a five minute episode and then a 35 minute episode and then instead of having seven or eight episodes you could have had as many episodes as you wanted you were entirely in control of this people would have loved it if there was just these mini bite-sized stories that were arguably cinematic quality even if it's just a five eight twelve minute episode and then the next one is 45 minutes long it's like people would love it and it gives you time to really actually tell these like the captain carter one if they had actually kind of put more energy into it because it felt very slow if they had done that as a quick snap 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 then it would have probably been more impactful and so i feel like there was a lot of a lot of possibility that was just squandered because they played it safe on how they delivered the product. Does that make sense? It does, and I, I would I would agree on on some level. I hundred percent agree. We 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 st- we're in lockstep on the animation style. It would have been mm. sick if it had, or something like Love, Death, and Robots. You know, like yeah, go out yeah. to market and go, who wants what? Right, like tell me that, that animation houses around the globe wouldn't have been lining up. Mm-hmm. To, to to do their own episode you know you can tell them what to film you know and you, mm-hmm. but anyway um it's maybe it's the fact that they're disney they are yeah. they're, they're, they are they're initially known as an animation studio mm-hmm. and you know i don't they know do if they like actually the did they do it in-house i don't know um but like maybe they just didn't want to be you know seem to be going out to market when that's what they used to be known for but uh, it didn't rob it too much, but it could have been. It could have definitely enhanced it if you'd had, mm. as you know, like different styles to denote different um, different stories. Mm. Um, and the, and I agree also on the filler episodes. 
like mm. the, the Captain Carter episode. I mean, the Thor episode for a lot was kind of a filler until mm. the last the last scene really was kind of just filler. Yeah, um, kind of. And I was watching it going, what is this shit? Like, I mean, this is crap. Mm. Um, until they just dragged it back with that scene at the end where, um, you know, Ultron mm-hmm. shows up and you're like, okay, this is interesting. And then so you're like, I hope you pay it off. And of course mm. they did. So that was mm. nice. Um, but you're right. They, they did kind of, they had, it was a very uneven series. And, mm. you know, uh, you, I believe if I'm not mistaken, the note you about putting Gamora and co in the, um, into the, uh, the final episode is because the episode that was supposed to be in was pushed to season two. So uh, don't quote me on that. I'm sure I yeah. read that somewhere. But because of COVID, they didn't have time to make it. So but they still wanted to put them in the last episode. So we just, you know, uh, it'll make sense next year. Um, you're right. doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Maybe you, you're right. It's, it's your show on yeah. your TV network. Yep. Like, say, sorry, it's coming out in the next month. We need another month to make me another episode or something. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I know they've got a pretty tight schedule because they're, you know, but like Black Widow got pushed eighteen yeah. months, and you know, all of a sudden, this ending didn't make a whole lot of sense because um, mm-hmm. Julie Louis Drivers turned up on the Win- um, the uh, uh, Winter Soldier and a Falcon show. Falcon, yep. So um, you're right; that was a little confusing. But uh, mm-hmm. I, I'll pay this: that there were some spectacularly high points in the show. Like I think the highest points at Marvel. Maybe it's Marvel TV shows have hit. Like, I like some of the early... You and I both liked the early mm. episodes of WandaVision, which apparently mm. we're the only people on Earth who did. Uh, everybody else was boring. <laughs> um, but, like, if, what if Doctor Strange lost his heart? Yes. Uh, what if Ultron won? And m- what if zombies to a lesser extent? And in the last episode, was, yeah, was, uh, you know, mm. okay. Um, but not for those two episodes, what if Ultron and Doctor Strange are like, Fuck yes, that is what I wanted from this. That was awesome. Yeah. That's those are the two episodes that I think, yeah, there is more than enough story here to actually stretch that out beyond the, you know, push it up to 35, 40, 45 minutes and just really go to town, especially because of how important those characters are in the finale. You they they are ridiculously important and they are very popular. And I have a feeling that the what if Stephen Strange lost his heart is going to have some kind of ramifications in Spider-Man and it's definitely going to have ramifications in Into the Multiverse. Multiverse of Madness, sorry. Uh, and how good was it to see them do Ultron right? Mm, I mean, oh my God, yes. You know, if you think back to, if you think back to the Age of Ultron, I think I watched it again recently, like, eh, okay, it's really just, um, I think we probably talked about it. Maybe we, I think the show was probably on at the time. Mm. We probably talked about it back then. It was really just setting up the mm. next phase of the Marvel universe. It was almost like a uh, transition Avengers yeah. film. We need to put an Avengers film out to get the story from here to there. Mm-hmm. Ultron will do, but it, you know, Ultron never really felt like much of a threat in those films. You know, yeah. it's, I mean, obviously, you know, the good guys are going to win. You know, but. Somehow Loki felt threatening in the first Avengers movie, you know, like Dude. that that invasion felt threatening and it felt like there were stakes involved. I mean, were there? Probably not, but it felt like it, and that was good enough. Mm. And then, of course, to Thanos films, um, mm. maybe Infinity Gauntlet Saga, if those, of course, Thanos is the, the creme de la creme of um, uh, Marvel uh, villains, and those things mm. are great, obviously. But mm. the, the Ultron, you're like, eh, whatever, it's just a 
robot with James Spader, wasted James Spader's voice. Yeah. Um, whereas this one, like, wow, all of a sudden, you know, that is that is what they should have done with Ultron, right? A thousand percent. It was threatening. It was just that there was just this persistent feeling of fear that honestly i don't really think any cybernetic cinematic character has presented since the t1000 it just kept going there was like this this is unstoppable the way that he's got these safeguards and safeguards and safeguards and just everything is like how are you going to stop this this is brilliant <laughs> the, the heroes are constantly on the back foot so you you instantly invest with them the only question i had and it's an, is is i don't want to go too long on this because we've got a lot mm. to talk about but how do you dealt with thanos in a thanos has been done kind of dirty since uh, uh infinity war uh yeah. and, and endgame like i mean they kind of blew off the uh the infinity uh stones in um in loki it's all mm -hmm. paperweights uh, and then this one he basically goes oh hello zoom and space <laughs> and basically slices him in half i'm like it, why didn't vision just do that if that was an option i kind of wonder if they're loki doing it on purpose just because thanos is arguably the best most successful villain that the mcu has had to date and everyone is going well how are they going to beat him by kind of t almost doing like the wrestler story arc of the bad guy the all-powerful bad guy and suddenly having him lose in these dumb scenarios just dehumanizes him so that the next big bad or the next hero can rise up and look even more impressive i wonder if they're doing that kind of storytelling just so that it's like okay because everyone is now kind of going oh is it going to be galactus is it going to be mephisto uh, they're throwing out all these kind of metaphysical cosmological entities of the um marvel universe and it's like who's it going to be how are they going to make it feel genuinely threatening the way thanos did and everything every villain is being measured against thanos so maybe that's it uh it, it, it didn't detract from it for me i um mm. i still enjoyed that episode immensely and and it's it, it kind of saved the series for me because it did tie up a lot of those mm. episodes earlier on. Like yeah. the Thor kind of, I mean, that really saved that from complete failure. Mm. Um, I, there's a season two. We'll see what it looks like then. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I've heard, I read just a rumor that there could be a Marvel Zombies spinoff. Yeah, I remember reading something about that. Yeah. But that is obviously a series of comic books as well. I actually remember reading mm -hmm. a couple of those because I mm. like zombies. Um, and so yeah, that, that probably wouldn't be the worst thing in the world because there's some material there that they can mm. they can pull from, which is, you know, source material. Actually, it was put of just spinning something up. Like, we, maybe, I think I read there's going to be an Agnes spinoff from from um, yeah. one division. Yeah, I mean, Agatha Harkness spinoff. There's um, She-Hulk coming out with Tatiana Maslany. You've got, obviously, Hawkeye is the next TV show that's coming, which basically looks like, oh, yeah, we're going to do Hawkeye in Die Hard, which... I'm kind of down for. <laughs> I know a few people who won't be down for that one because they still haven't forgiven him for what he did to Black Widow in um, uh, not even him really, but what the writers did to Black Widow in uh, <laughs> in Endgame. But I thought there was a nice, nice wink back at that in um, again in uh, 
mm. what if Ultron had won where where um where Clint sacrifices himself mm-hmm. to um to to to, to you know against the, the Ultron's forces to try and get um the yeah. Black Widow away. Um but that didn't do it for some people I know who are still holding that, that grudge very personally. Um what we're talking Marvel, should we just move on to the big dog? Let's move and on to the big dog, yeah. I need to give an apology to our audience and say I, I've asked George specifically not to talk about the Eternals just yet because I haven't had a chance to see it yet and I would like to go in. I am trying my hardest to go in with an open mind on this one. Despite all the bad reviews and um, people shitting on it, I want to know as little about it as possible so I can give it its uh, fair chance. Just like we, we went and saw Ghostbusters. We went in and gave it a fair shot. We we time. tried our best on that one. And I will never forget what he said to me. He turned to me in that cinema after the credits rolled and said, well, that just happened. Um, <laughs> the best just, review I've ever given. <laughs> pretty much. But so we, we will get into the Eternals. But look, if you really wanted to read a review of the Eternals, you know, there are millions of them out there, mm-hmm. but you we, we will, you will get our views in the Eternals mm-hmm. soon enough because um, that man over there has seen it, but I have not had the chance yet. Yes. But Shang-Chi, but, I did see a couple of weeks ago. What did you make of it? I loved it. Out and out loved it. It did everything that a blockbuster, that a Marvel movie, the superhero movie needed to do to just hit every button. It was fun. It kept a good pace going. The action sequences were really good. There was genuine heart to it and story and um, this personal level that you could just connect to comfortably none of the characters were overly annoying none of the the bad guy was actually interesting and layered and just everything was absolutely firing on all cylinders really loved it one of the most enjoyable not necessarily best because there was nothing particularly like oh my god that's phenomenal cinema or anything like that it was just everything was just solid it knew what it was trying to do and it did it absolutely it hit its goals loved it really enjoyable i said at the start i've been critical of of marvel's trailers and this was one of them um I didn't like the trailer. I thought it was generic and boring and it may be mm-hmm. giving nothing to work from. It did not make me excited for the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, and I think regular listeners and viewers might, have, I might've said something rash, like this could be their first real big bomb. Um, it don't think it was. And if it was, it was just a pandemic, I think. Um, and it certainly wasn't reviewed as their biggest bomb. That mm-hmm. was left of the Eternals. Um, yeah. So far, anyway, um, not making a judgment. I just know that it is the lowest rated film so far. Uh, mm-hmm. Shang-Chi has a 7.7 on IMDb um, and uh, met a score of 71. So it's not this film. Um, mm. I'm less glowing than you, but I liked it a lot. Mm. Uh, I'm going to give a caveat here and say I saw it at Doncaster uh, uh, here in Melbourne, your former place of employment. Yeah. Um, and what a shithole that place is. Um I don't know. Bad. Did you go to the cinema very much? Yeah. I found, I don't know if it does, the seats were super uncomfortable. Um, yeah. And I don't know if they've turned the air conditioning off because of the uh, unspecified virus, but um, it was super hot and stuffy in the cinema if they did That's turn it off. That's just how that place is. Okay. It's, it's one of those things where in summer they turn the heating on and in winter they turn the aircon on. Of course they do. That makes sense. Uh, <laughs> cheaper that way. Um, so I'm just giving a caveat there because no one really cares about my cinema experience. Just to say that mm. that can influence 
mm-hmm. what you take away from a film. My first problem with Shang-Chi is it's too long. And I am like a fucking broken record here. I say it every time. It's too long. It much too long. It needed 20 minutes cut out of it. Whatever happened to a 90-minute popcorn film? Like oh this did goodness. this felt like a very long two hours, 12 minutes. So it desperately, desperately needed 15, 20 minutes cut out of it, and it would have been really tight if mm. it had done that. There was all sorts of stuff I had in it. It was a bit fluffy, especially um, towards just the, the third act. Um, it, it Again, you're in a stuffy cinema with uncomfortable seats. Mm-hmm. You're going to feel those two hours, 12 minutes. Yeah. If you're in gold class, maybe not. So just bring it out there. But I do think it was too long, and I think that's a Marvel thing they've been doing lately. They've been going to get it creeping their stories out a little bit kind of- yeah they definitely have um it's it kind of echoes back to what i was saying about what if where the their time management of the stories they want to tell and this actually echoes with all of their tv shows they've they've been inconsistent in their pacing and how how they're measuring out the time they're using and they're as we said they are in control of all of it how many episodes they have how long the episodes go and yet they're still putting filler in there for what reason? It's like, okay, but why? You you don't need to. You can org- you've managed to do 10 years of interweaving stories culminating in something that has basically never been seen before. Why can't you do it with a TV show where other TV shows have been able to do it and they've been able to, you know, keep the the pace going and have these kind of cool down episodes, but still be worthwhile and investing. And they keep doing it. And they've extended to their films now. So their mm. films are longer than they need to be. Um, and I have a controversial take on what that might be. Mm. Is I don't think they're hiring the right directors in a way. Um, at, no, so this film was directed by Destin Daniel Cretum. Um, mm. Not a household name, which is nope. fine in a way. Um, he mm. is um, Hawaiian. So I don't think he's – I don't know what his heritage is, but obviously this is Marvel's first um, Asian superhero. So whether or not mm-hmm. – not, not saying that's why he was hired. He has directed some very decent films in the past, including mm. Short Term 12, if you haven't seen that. That is a not particularly uplifting film, um, but it's very good. Um, and uh, Just Mercy, which came out at the start of 2020, I think actually came out – just over okay. a year and a half ago, uh, and again, that is a a decent decent film with um uh, Michael Jordan in it, Michael B. Jordan. Um, but he's an art house director, is what he is. Mm. He makes art house films before this. And uh, Chloe Zhao, who's done the Eternals again, I can't speak about the quality of it. Definitely from an art house background. Mm-hmm. These people come from an independent world where you go trying to tell much more expansive stories, and you have. Mm in some ways being an independent film a little bit more freedom lower budget but more freedom to tell the story you want to tell and yeah. you know um whereas if you think about years gone by think about someone like john mctiernan or mm. dare i say it uh john de bont a lot of bad films but when <laughs> um or roland emmerich you know they got in they told a story they got the hell out now someone's yeah. gonna come at me and go well roland emmerich married this film it was four and a half hours long you know at their best yeah, that's the kind of thing that they did well. So, I don't know if it's the fact that they're hiring these kind of directors who are used to really long form storytelling and really slow, you know, mm. uh, story where you know they're not trying to keep an audience's. They've got a little bit more story to work with, shall we say? And you know, mm. Shang Chi, you know, it's not a lot. Um, my other problem with Shang Chi here, and I'm being a bit critical for a film I liked, is mm. the ending. Um, 
it was yet another CGI shitfest, um, which we should be used to now because every Marvel film ends in a CGI shitfest. Yeah. Um, this one was particularly unconvincing to me. It went on again. It went on for too long uh, for me. Like, it's just all of a sudden, there's you know the dragons fighting each other. It looked kind of cool. I've heard some people diss the CGI and say it wasn't very good. I'm like, uh, that, that didn't bother me so much, other than the mm-hmm. fact that I just didn't care. Um, and you know, they go. What was interesting about the film, as you sort of noted, was the the villain in this piece, um, not the Mandarin. Um, nope. That's his name is not the Mandarin because he's definitely not the Mandarin. Um, <laughs> Zhu Wen Zhu Wen Wu. Um, I'm going to pronounce that poorly. Really? Um, as you sort of noted, really complex, layered character with really interesting and detailed and understandable motivations. And yeah. when you know it, that makes a fascinating villain Marvel. You know, <laughs> why, why don't you do that a little bit more often? Um, but in <laughs> he was and when we, we 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 sort of slide sideways from that to a character we just heard about 20 minutes ago or a, a villain or a monster we just heard about 20 minutes ago who's, yeah, yeah giant, you know, Cthulhu CGI thing. And you're like, mm. okay, I mean, yeah, whatever. Um, I would just like to see one of his films one day that had a more personal kind of um, – I think it maybe was what made – Endgame's so good, apart from all the great things that went into that story and how interesting mm-hmm. a villain Thanos was. But in the end, it came down to, you know, basically Iron Man going one-on-one with another character who yeah. almost, almost seemed, you know, like a natural character as opposed to a CGI creation. And honestly, the the last moments of the fight are really fucking like they're they're drunk guys at a bar shit fight it's not this sort of like heroic fight it's them literally wrestling over a glove it's 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 not heroic and super amazing the background is this battle of hundreds and hundreds of villains and heroes all fighting each other but the core is just two guys fighting over jewelry and yet it had so much emotion i am absolutely with you for shang chi the the fact that um, Tony, Tony Lung Shuai was his character when Wu was being manipulated, I would have loved it if they had just gone, you know what, we're going to go all in on the emotions here and we're going to get Shang-Chi over there. He's going to get right to the point. One of those, one or two of those little creatures are going to bust through, but we're not going to reveal the big bad. Big bad. We're not going to reveal the great protector. And it's literally the, them just ha- essentially having a pissing contest and a a father-son fight where the father finally realizes and just he doesn't have to die the bad guy doesn't always have to fucking die he can actually have redemption that would have been fucking amazing um it it, i'd be critical here like these are the things that bother me it's too long in the cgi at the end um really kind of dragged it down a little bit but up to that point you sort of noted the film is the, st- the first act of the film is brilliant. It, mm-hmm. It's one of the better first acts for any of the Marvel films. I really, really enjoyed the first act. Um, the bus fight mm-hmm. was the second best public transport related fight I've seen this year. Um, props to nobody for number one. Um, but it is, of course, the number one public transport related fight in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, mm-hmm. uh, topping that pathetic effort by Captain Marvel. Uh, Stanley cameo aside, 
Um, <laughs> but I really enjoyed that fight, and that was. And, and, and I know a lot of people are dissing, uh, critical of Marvel for all the, the quippy humor that they, mm-hmm. is always in their films. But I, I was laughing my ass off at the you know the guy FaceTiming you. Yo, it's your boy, and you know I I did a little martial arts when I was young. I'm going to yeah. try and commentate this for you now, and um, that was an Aquafina. Um, uh, again, I've seen a lot of people criticize her as not being funny in this film or annoying, and I. I'm with you. I didn't find any of the characters particularly annoying in this. And mm. I can see how as the comedy psychic, she might have been annoying mm. in the hands of a, a less talented performer or, you know, a, a less well-written. But I mm. found her uh, stuff very, very funny. And I found her yeah. amusing as well. And I got total speed vibes for that scene, I guess, you know. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know if that was deliberate or not, but that was where I was feeling about it. Mm. Um, uh yeah, I saw there's virtual martial arts in a film. I'm by no means a martial arts film expert. They're not really my forte. Um, well, anyone who looks at us knows that we're we're masters. You know, we, we've studied the blade. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and um, I cut my finger. So I, I'm not exactly an aficionado, so I can't look at this film and go, "Oh yes, well, it's the wind juice." Um, I just don't have it. But I found it yeah. very convincing. Very entertaining and very graceful. Some of it was like um, the the Wen Wu when he meets his um, his wife. Um, it's almost like ballet, and I'm certain it's supposed to be like that. It was reminiscent to me of something like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Not quite to that level, but reminiscent of it. Um, and that's a good thing. You, you're watching a film of martial arts, and you definitely want to be remembered, reminded of that film. And I believe it was an influence. So the martial arts fight scenes I thought were wonderfully well done. I think Simu Liu, uh, the star, uh, who plays Sean, a.k.a. Yep. Shang-Chi, is mm-hmm. a, an accomplished martial arts performer, which is probably why he was hired. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I find those scenes wonderful. Um, I, I was very pleased to see uh, Ronnie Chang um, pop up, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm like, I know that guy. He's an Australian. Yeah, he's uh, always sort of. entertaining. He kind of always plays the same character, mm-hmm. but... He's just damn entertaining. <laughs> he really is. And I thought he was very, he didn't have much screen time here, but I'm like, I was glad to see him pop up. He was in Godzilla as well for about two minutes. Um, he put a shopkeeper. Um, but yeah. I thought he was very, again, he kind of really stood out to me. Maybe it's just because I recognized his face. Mm. Um, and I had to really lean over to Michelle and go, who's that guy? Who's that guy? Is <laughs> Chang? I'm like, oh, of course it's Ronnie Chang from The Daily Show. Um, and he did a TV series here called, um, a foreign student or international student uh, about being a, an international student at Melbourne Uni, which was very funny. Um, so I enjoyed I enjoyed his uh, brief role as well. Um, a criticism again, the guy who played, I think he's Deaf Dealer, the guy with a funky kabuki mask. Oh, yes. Like that was really, like that guy like, kept popping up and, you know, like he looked like, like a badass. And you're like, oh, he's going to do something cool. He didn't do anything cool. He was. It was a little bit like... Uh, Captain Phasma. Very much so. Yeah, he's got a cool look. Like, okay. Like, cool look. Mm. You're not doing anything. Um, and, and I must be honest, um, I kept thinking of uh, all the way through, every time he popped up, I, he, he reminded me of the, um, the trauma film, uh, Sergeant Kabuki Man, uh, <laughs> uh, which is probably racist. I probably shouldn't say that. Um, That's not what they were going for. No, I was film. like, I, maybe it's just me and I'm a little bit, too jaded, but I just kept saying I didn't actually know his name was some um, deaf dealer until I saw a, a review somebody else did. Because mm. I don't think anybody actually names him in the film. 
Um, no, I don't think so. I think and so I'm just, just like, oh, Sergeant Kabuki Man's back. And I'm like, that's not what Marvel want me to be thinking <laughs> right now. Unless unless they've bought um, the rights to the Troma catalog and Toxic Avenger is part of the MCU. Now, that would be cool. That would be cool. That's the crossover and, we've all been waiting for. Yeah. The, they managed to get Howard the Duck in there. I want James Gunn, Toxic Avengers. That would be cool. I just I don't I haven't heard about them. I'm sure Troma would sell it for a price. They're not they're not um they're, you know, they're, they're not, not picky about these things. So, yeah, I, I'm with you. I think this is a a really decent film. And just to talk on the political side of things for a moment, um I've criticized Marvel in the past for being a little bit pandering mm-hmm. uh, in terms of you know some of the stuff they've done with with um with with uh, female superheroes in the power women, you know, like uh, they've ever seen in the end game where they all team up and you know in a completely yeah. unnatural way, or uh, some of the pandering that's gone in and some of other works. Been, and I've heard some people be very cynical about this film as well about it mm. being pandering. But um, I've said before in, in the show that representation matters. Mm. Um, and I had a Chinese Australian friend of mine talk to me, uh, send me a message after seeing this film on Friday night. He was ecstatic. Mm. He sent me a message. He said, "I am Shang Chi." Um, so. When you sort of realise that, you know, you stop and think, he's lived, he's lived in Australia his entire life, but he's never seen anybody in a, in a superhero film, really, that, that looks like him. So um, that was that was a thing for him, um, a big thing for him. So he was really quite pleased about that. So that's exciting that they're doing stuff like that. Um, it, it matters. Uh, can you still hear me, Travis? I can. Okay, my video is just frozen then. Okay. My video is frozen as well. We're just going to – can you hear me, though? Yeah, I can hear you and I can see you, so it's weird. What did you All think right. of Ben Kingsley's role, by the way? So go back onto one one step mm. back from me being political. I loved that they haven't just kind of sunsetted him to the attic of the MCU and never going to talk of him again. Um, it was delightful to have him in there. I do kind of feel it was a little bit too much. Like, he could have maybe they could have um just left it behind after a brief period but you know he wasn't too invasive in the final final chapter of the movie um but yeah i'm just glad that they um i'm just glad that they gave a shout out to a one shot like yeah the one shot thing's kind of been forgotten for a number of years now yeah uh if you don't the one shot is that was a series of like five minute short films Starring um, various sort of um, side characters that Marvel did a few years ago. I think there were extras on a DVD or something, maybe. Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, but you can find. Uh, I think it's Hail to the King. Is the yes the other uh, one shot with a Mandarin in jail with um, Sam Rockwell's um, just Arnie, Justin Hammer. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, anyway, it's very funny, uh, and it sets up what happens in shang chi which is interesting um yeah it's a fairly obscure little tidbit of the um the marvel universe that's caused that yeah but um yeah i i did i really did appreciate that and i hope that they actually do bring a little bit more of those little bits in oh i've disabled my camera and i'm turning it back on to see if that helps okay yeah Please ignore our technical problems. This, that's one thing that hasn't changed in this show. And I think it's just me. 
And oh, men be back. Oh, right, you're moving again. There we go. How okay. exciting! Woo, thrilling stuff. It is restream being shitty again. Yay! Uh, so uh, that's a plus. I was really excited that this film actually turned out to be something pretty decent. Yes, it was thoroughly enjoyable. Um, and I watched this the same night that I watched Eternals. Wow, that um, was a busy night. Yeah, yeah. Were you at the cinema or did you watch it at home? Cinema, yeah. At the cinema, I thought, you know what? Knowing my luck, we're going to be put into the lockdown again. I want to get a couple of movies under my belt, damn it. <laughs> definitely worth the, um, definitely, definitely be my mindset as well. Um, yeah, it's, you never know what's going to happen. Uh, exactly. <laughs> uh, we thought we were free and clear, but no. Um, They'd pull me back in. Um. Uh, if, believe it or not, uh, and I know our fans fan uh, has missed this, but I have a, uh, um, uh, I do have a uh, commercial break ready for us. We have a sponsor. Um, it is the, of course, uh, Channel Ten of Adelaide from nineteen ninety. Um, thank you to Channel Ten <laughs> from thirty years ago. Um, when we come back, did mm. you have a chance to see Ordinary People at all? I did. Yes. Okay. And now. Maybe we'll come back and have a chat about our most recent chain movie. Mm -hmm. uh, I saw it two months ago. So, so, uh, so it's going to yeah. be an interesting uh, chat. Let's see how much you remember about it. But yeah. um, I'm going to move him over here and get ready to uh, put our sponsor on the air. And that one. Okay. Let me see if we have any audio. Yeah, bring that in. There we go. All right. Back soon, ladies and gentlemen.
All right, well, I've been doing a terrible job at Mystery Science Theatre 3000 in these adverts because I have no idea what any of them are. <laughs> uh, well, this one, I think, is a MasterCard commercial. See, you know that straight away. I was. I the, might have previewed one... the. I, I did actually preview the commercials before I. So you don't I always tell have... how the sausage is made. Anyway, um, did we have no sound there? I'm sorry about that. I'm using a new browser. I'm using a new browser because apparently you're not supposed to use Chrome anymore. Um, Massive security flaws in Chrome, I'm sorry to say. Um, So I've been using a new browser and it doesn't look and act the same way, unfortunately. Oh. Well, that's a train. Never mind. Anyway, we know for next time. Hmm. I'm now let's d- go on to our chain movie. Yes. Um, one trick. I just have to... Um, camera off. Can you, can you feel for me? I can. Yes, I can absolutely do that. All right. So for those who might not, might be finding us for the first time ever, welcome to our chair producers. Um, we are a show that started off just because we were bored of sim but we've been going for actually more than 126 episodes we started off as um the gnt podcast but for armchair producers we've been doing chain movie we started with one movie and every movie has connected in some way shape or form to the previous for example the movie that got us to ordinary people was the netflix movie um, the Discovery, which had Jason Siegel and Rob Redford, as well as Jesse Plemons. Um, and we both actually rather enjoyed that one. And then we, Travis got to choose where we went next, which was Ordinary People, the Oscar-winning Robert Redford-directed Ordinary People. Sorry so, about that. Uh, the perils of live recording and leaving the fridge open so it beeps at you. <gasps> Scandalous. Um, I um, hadn't actually ever seen this film before, so I, this was a no. Uh, neither had I. I guess reputation precedes it um, as being kind of a pretty famously awarded. And my hair is doing all sorts of crazy things. So apologies, people. Um, <laughs> being a very famously awarded and critically acclaimed film. Um, mm. and so you're gonna have to, as I said, I watched this two months ago because we didn't know. We were going off the air at that point mm. in time. It was just sort of, um, it was a, a bit of cra- random craziness that led to that. So uh, mm-hmm. you'll forgive me if I don't remember a lot, but this is actually a pretty fucking great movie. Mm-hmm. Um, this is pretty dark stuff. So the synopsis, mm. the accidental death of the older son of an affluent family deeply strains the relationships amongst the bitter mother, the good-natured father, and the guilt-ridden younger son. So we have Donald uh, Sutherland starring as the father, good natured father, as Calvin Jarrett. Um, mm-hmm. Beth, Mary Tyler Moore as Beth, his uh, mother. Uh, mm-hmm. Timothy Hutton as Conrad, mm-hmm. the son. And notably here, Judd Hirsch as mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Berger, who is um, Conrad's psychologist, I guess is the way to put it, counsellor. Yeah, therapist. And this film feels actually really... Um, really contemporary for a 41-year-old film in a lot of ways. Like, I think you could remake this today. I mean, it wouldn't be anywhere near as good probably, but Mm. uh, you could could definitely transfer a lot of a story into the present day 
Mm. And I don't think it has to change a whole lot apart from the technology and the fashion. Yeah. Um, it's it's unusually fresh. Um, in, so to give a little bit more detail about um, Beth Calvin and their son Conrad are living in the aftermath of the death of their other son. Conrad is overcome by grief and misplaced guilt to the extent of being a, of a suicide attempt. He's in therapy. Beth had always preferred his brother and he's having difficulty being supportive to Conrad. Mm. Calvin is trapped between the two trying to hold the family together. Mm. Um, really powerful movie. Like everybody has a family, right? And mm. families are notoriously fucked up. Um, yeah. I remember a book by a Canadian author I read about 20 years ago called All Families Are Psychotic. Um, and it wasn't a great book, but it was a good title. Um, and I think it's an apt description in this one in the sense that, like, I think a lot of people are going to find something in this story that resonates with them. I mean, mm. how many people do you know who aren't in one kind of therapy or another? Mm. Um, I think I know one person, <laughs> uh, especially after what we've been through in the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, so the, the, um, the, I guess, the story of a mentally ill young man, not that we're young anymore, really, <laughs> but um, it's it's speak one that, um, speak for myself, I'm... Uh, you're not over 40 yet, are you? No. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, you're youngish. Uh, <laughs> so um, I think it's something everyone can kind of connect with. And yes. I felt really strong echoes of, of um, well, I should have said uh, Good Will Hunting. But, I mean, I guess the echoes in, were of this film mm. <laughs> were in Good Will Hunting in that relationship between Robin Williams' uh, psychologist and mm -hmm. uh, Matt Damon. So, uh, Will, uh, I felt a very similar dynamic between mm. uh, uh, Judd Hirsch's um, Dr. Berger and 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 uh, Timothy Hutton's Conrad in this film in the sense that mm. uh, it's a really informal style of um, <laughs> doctor-patient relationship. Mm. What I think is, um, to its credit for, for this one, comparing the two, because I think it's anyone who hasn't seen this and has seen Goodwill Hunting will look at it and go, oh, there's a lot of similarities. I think the thing that makes it a bit more true is the um, the very normal nature and of Conrad. He is not a genius. He is just a young person trying to make sense of, reorganize, and find himself after such tragedy and self-harm and that that resonates with me a, a lot um but at the same time i feel like it is more i think more people can actually just associate with that rather than the the scene of will hunting knowing that he's the smartest man in the room and that kind of level of arrogance there's not an arrogance to Conrad when he's in those scenarios. He is just someone who literally doesn't understand and doesn't know how to communicate what's going on in his mind. Uh, you make a, you make a, a really wonderful point there. This is um this is a desperately painfully normal family. Mm. No one has superpowers. Yeah. No one's actually a boy wizard. Nope. Um, no one's no one a, is ludicrously well off. Nobody's secretly trained as an assassin, you know. Um, it's just a normal family mm. going through a period of extraordinary crisis, mm. and that's 
that's not something you see very often anymore anyway i mean i mean this film would not get made today basically because what studio would fund it um i mean maybe well, i was that. i was thinking the same thing and i think if there was going to be a this movie today making of it it would end up falling into probably like an art house melodrama mm. and despite the genuine weight of what this family is dealing with and how it is presented to us it skirts away from melodrama just enough every time that it's just emotionally raw and investing without it being sort of like a Lars von Trier movie or something like that. Yeah. yeah, we probably end up would be something like Netflix, something like Marriage Story. You know, that landed. I, I haven't yeah. seen it, yeah. but, like, I, I just haven't been that depressed that I felt like I needed to end my life by watching Marriage Story. Um, <laughs> you know, it doesn't seem like an uplifting kind of film, you know what I mean? Um, uh, so it, but it, it's a kind of that kind of prestige product that would probably mm. end up on one mm. of the streaming services and get nominated for Oscars, you know? Um, um, so that said, there are so few films that are just about grief and grieving. Um, and, you know, while there are a number of films that deal with sort of, you know, mental health problems and that sort of mm. thing, but, but the pain of grief and grieving is not an easy story to tell. And as you sort of know, to do it in a way that doesn't come across as manipulative or, mm. you know, um, sappy or, you know, or melodramatic is is quite mm. a skillful achievement on the behalf of, of Robert Redford. I think people forget mm. was a very probably could say is, but he doesn't know if he actually makes directs anymore. But he was a very fine director at one mm. point in time in his career. Um, real question is: Do you think they did Mary Tyler more dirty in this film because she's not a nice? She doesn't come out of this looking good. The, her character of Beth. Mm. That is very true. She is, for all intents and purposes, the villain of the piece. Um, but at the same time, I don't necessarily know if they in it's an out-and-out destruction-of-character kind of scenario. I think that she does a very good job of coming across as someone who is even further in the quagmire of not knowing how to deal with things and how to communicate than Conrad or Calvin were in those movies. This is interestingly kind of for the, the way that um, cinema, particularly through the eighties and nineties into the early two thousands, especially before the, the Me Too movement and things like that, those kind of roles would have been reversed. The denial, denial, denial would have categorically been the father, whereas it's the two males in this movie that actually do make those moves and are more in touch with. And They're a bit more sensitive, aren't they? They're a bit more yeah. of a nurturing type as opposed to it is against type to have the female character yeah. cast as the, of a mother character cast as the unfeeling, cold, one vote. Mm. I found myself wondering when I was watching it, if, if again, to transport this film to contemporary time, would this film be accused of something like misogyny today if we, we cast and shot a role like Mary Tyler Moore's Beth in this film? Maybe it would. I think that it would take a very deft actress to be able to pull it off. And the name that instantly just jumped to mind was Jackie Weaver. 
I could imagine. Wow, she might be a little old for that now, but yeah, she certainly would be capable of pulling it off. Yeah, but um, yeah, I do wonder whether there would be criticism about it, uh, or maybe even kind of reverse criticism. You, we're we're kind of going, oh, was she done done dirty? But at the same time, it's like, okay, if they did that, would that would would that be considered pandering? Because it is that stereotypical motherly figure being turned on its head. I mean, no. you should note that um, that um, Mary Tyler Moore herself called the film her holy grail. Mm. Um, I think, well, it was probably, she, you know, she was, this is probably actually a fairly inspired piece of casting here mm. in the sense that they've cast um, someone who was best known for TV comedies, you know, being a likable. Mm. Um, you know, funny actress mm -hmm. in a, you know, cold-hearted, you know, villainous almost mm. role. Uh, I, I don't believe that was by accident by any stretch of the yeah. imagination. Absolutely agree. This is casting in the same way Robin, uh, Robin Williams in one-hour photo. Uh, you know, it's, it's the Spanish prisoner with Steve Martin. The, and she has really proven in this that yeah she was able to fucking bring it because i hated her for 95 percent of the movie but the way that she left and just the the silence of her le leaving i felt i couldn't help but feel sorry for her as well it's, it's a different kind of feeling sorry for her though in a way it's kind of pity yeah yeah whereas opposed you do honestly have empathy for 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 conrad and, and to mm. lesser extent, Calvin. Mm. Um, but I kind of felt pity. Uh, she's a pitiful, mm. pathetic character at the end of the film, and she's, you know, when they basically tell her the Emperor has no clothes, you know, yeah. uh, and she walks out, and she's now, they've basically robbed her of their power over them, to yeah. a degree. Um, it, she's a pitiful character walking out. Mm. Um, I, you know, I think I really dug that because, I mean, to rob it of any politics here, just how often do you see a, an abusive mother character. Women are, you know, mothers are usually portrayed as, you know, a stereotype of a nurturing, loving, caring, you know, uh, character, or even a Sigourney Weaver type mother character of, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the mother bear, <laughs> you know, defending her cubs kind of thing. We, we, you very rarely, I think, see, you know, the, the mother who isn't those things. And you know, they exist, you know, like, yeah. you and I probably know people out there who had some pretty fucked up parents. Yeah. Um, you know, who, who, uh, for, for better, for worse, you know, mm. um, have probably lived this in real life. So, um, again, not something you see Hollywood tackle very often. And, um, you, you sort of hinted at, you've got a, a suite of outstanding performances. I want to give a quick shout out to Don Savlon, because I know he listens to the show every week. Uh, yeah. Hi, Don. Don. Don, as we call him. Um, <laughs> he was amazing in this. Like, yeah, I don't want to over it's like you, yeah. you I think you've got two spectacular performances there um by uh, Timothy Hutton and Mary Tyler Moore and probably a bit more flashy a little yep. bit more to see where Calvin kind of playing that um quiet uh, good natured um, you know uh conflict avoidant character yeah he's he's not something you see very often and and, and um he really pulls it off in in a in a really understated way like um the scene where he's talking about his son's death and he just stutters while he's talking about it and you're like yeah oh 
right in the feels, man. Right in the feels. It is so deliciously underplayed. And it just works in every single scene, whether it's just how he's talking to his friends at the party right near the beginning of the movie and how he just has those little glances over at Mary Tyler Moore as if they're just loaded with potential and thought and consideration. And the the very end where he's kind of just the the layers just kind of shed off of him as <laughs> as she finally drives away. You can kind of see the weight coming off of his shoulders. He plays it so well. My God, and, he's a good actor. And he, he's, no, I mean, Donald Sutherland, I think, is an underrated actor in many ways. I mean, I think his most memorable role for me other is, has always been Invasion of a Body Snatchers mm. from 1978, which is a different kind of role for him again. If you look him up on IMDb, he's best known for two of the Hunger Games films. You're yeah. like, ew, really? Um, <laughs> uh, no, thank you. Um, but uh, <laughs> I, I thought he was a, a, a really wonderful performance. And, like, you know, um, and a bold choice as well for Redford. Like, he was a big star at the time to, mm. to direct a film, but not star in it. And there had to be pressure on him at the time. Yeah. yeah. To, to pop his name in amongst it. Um, but, yeah. I, I'm very glad. I not actually genuinely like uh, people often ask me when they find out why I do the show, mm. um, you know, uh, how can I get on and uh, can, can I pay you to do my show? And of course, I'm, my answer is usually, mm. you know, how dare you speak to me? Um, but other than I've that, got they, an exclusivity deal on this man, ladies and gentlemen, got a no compete contract. Um, but the other thing they ask me is that what kind of films do you enjoy the most, especially when I was dating, which is like a few lame questions. Like when someone goes, what's your favorite movie? And you're like, one, I can give you 10. Um, <laughs> um, but the, the, the answer you never do for me is the films that I like most are the ones that make me feel something. Mm. Um, as much as we, we talked about all the Marvel shit earlier, and I enjoy Marvel, obviously, as much mm. as the next man. I, I enjoy a good popcorn film, a bit of escapism. Mm. Good for me. But if you can see, if a film can make me feel something, that's a special, special story. If it's fear, you know, sorrow, joy, you know, um, I maybe lame, but I just remember the scene, you and I, because we saw it together in game, the Mm. the scene where, you know, on your left, you know, all the characters come back. I have never heard an expression of joy like that in a cinema. I swear Mm. to God, never before have I heard people whooping and cheering and, and crying. Yeah. That moment, because we all knew they were coming back, but yeah. it was just in the way they executed it and the timing, and mm-hmm. oh, it, it was chills. And that was that's what I mean a film that makes me feel something. I mean, it was, you know, Marvel did it briefly. But this film made me feel something. <laughs> this film yeah. really hit me right in the feels. Like, um, I, I felt every one of those hits. I think, you know, you and I are advocate if we, if there's such a thing, we are advocates for men's health and for getting therapy mm-hmm. and talking about. Um, things um, and you know uh, things and stuff. Things and stuff. We're talking about you know <laughs> for talking about you know mental health issues and you know uh, yeah. suicidal ideation and suicide is a major problem for for men of my age and up. You know, like we're especially in the last year and a half or so. I don't know if they've gone up, but it probably hasn't got a whole lot better. Mm. Um, so um, to see a story, I mean, it's a different life stage that Conrad's dealing with here. But with somebody who's who's going through that situation, which I can definitely say I can appreciate the kind of feelings that Conrad is feeling in a different way. No one in my family's died, but you know what I mean. 
Yeah. Um, and I definitely don't have an evil, <laughs> an evil villainous mother like Mary Tyler Moore. But um, <laughs> I guess it being a story about a family going through a tragedy and find me a family that hasn't gone through a tragedy of yeah. some kind. And Absolutely. Anyway, so I just I'm, it's it's such a long time ago. It's foggy in my mind, but I definitely know. I, I watched it on a Monday morning. I was deeply disappointed that I watched it alone because I definitely felt like I needed a debrief session with someone pretty much straight away. Yeah, yeah, I was exactly the same. But um, we also haven't talked about Judd Hirsch. Mm. Now, this must have been a source of inspiration for Robin Williams for the way that he played. Um, I can't remember his character's name in Goodwill Hunting, but it was wonderful. Judd Hirsch, again, playing things, under underplaying a lot of things. He wasn't. For the time, I mean, this is this is a movie that came out in 1980, and I still remember, even in the early 90s, there was the stigma of going to a therapist, and it was a dirty secret. You didn't talk about going to a therapist. Certainly you, men didn't talk about it. Yeah. And so to have um, a character like this where... He kind of comes off a little bit like I don't really care unless you are here to actually make moves and improve. I don't have time for you. And we see that 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 attitude stoically kind of working against Conrad, who when he first goes, he's stubborn. When we first meet him, he's stubborn. He's stubborn. And it's slowly being chipped away to these breakdown moments and these real crux genuine just interactions between two people it just sold the scenes for me so well really really wonderful and the, the fact is he was not their first choice oh really gene hackman had been cast in that role um oh. but he had to drop out because they went back to reshoot scenes from superman 2 uh, which is an aside, uh, Joe Blow did an episode recently about what the fuck happened to his film Superman 2. Mm. Well worth a watch. Because if you haven't heard that story, it's a hell of a story. Um, mm. But they went back for reshoots and he had to drop out. So Judd Hirsch was cast as a replacement and uh, on condition he could complete the filming of his scenes in nine days so as not to interfere with his schedule on the TV show Taxi. Um, he was nominated for Best Supporting Actor for this. Um, and it was a bit of a, an eye-opener for me. And Well, for starters, I mean, what a great role to land as a replacement for someone. Gene Hackman would have been good too. Eh? What yeah. a wonderful actor. Um, mm. For a lot of people, I reckon Judd Hirsch, they know Judd Hirsch for one reason. It's Independence Day. Mm-hmm. I reckon that's the only, I reckon that'd be the only thing I've ever seen him in before this, really, that I can remember. Um, and, uh, you know, apart from Sharknado 2, which, of course, you know, is the, <laughs> you know, the, certainly the Citizen Kane of Flying Shark movies. Um, yes. But, uh it was interesting to see him pop up and play. I didn't realize what a fucking good actor he was. I'm like, well, you're really freaking good in this. Yeah. What happened to you? What happened to you? <laughs> I guess he was just one of those guys that just did what he wanted to do. And that was his thing. Like he enjoyed doing taxi. He turned up in um, a short lived series called forever with um, uh, Lowen, Lowen Griffiths Um that's that stopped he turned up in independence day and things because like, he was like, in numbers numbers was good oh uh, yeah yeah 
he didn't do very much. If you look at his filmography here, between 1980 and 1996 when um, when Independence Day came out, there's not a lot of action in there, right? Like, he didn't make another film after about Ordinary People for three years. Um, it's probably due to the fact that he was on a TV show, a fairly successful telly show, but, like, mm. um, it's just interesting. The guy, obviously, that much ability, one uh, being nominated for Academy Award, didn't uh, didn't get a whole lot done after that. Um mm. But you're right to call him out, and I got that vibe all the way through of like that strong mm. hunting. And I said at the start with it was, uh, I didn't realize how derivative that film was of this film. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, Not to say Goodwill Hunting is a bad film, I still like it, but like, okay, you can see once you see how, as you said earlier, once you see how the sausage is made, mm. uh, it's a little bit less exciting. Yeah. <laughs> I've got that's all I've got, I reckon, um, for the film I saw two and a half months ago. And um Thank if you've got nothing else to say, you have the keys. Yeah. And um you already said the name of the movie we're gonna go to next. I'll Invasion of Body Snatchers. Ah oh, wow. What a treat. You're you're being you're being generous. There's so many could have gone with Sharknetted too. I could have gone for Great Escape too. That would have been a nice companion piece considering we did watch the Great Escape a while Ooh, ago. But um I could have. But you will not explain <laughs> me, sir. Oh, well, yeah, this opens up all sorts of possibilities. Leonard yeah. Nimoy's in this film. Mm. I haven't seen this movie in probably 20 years. So I'm looking forward to revisiting it. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, uh, this, this is a film that's, um, uh, been made a lot of, t- remade a lot of times. So mm. this is not the original. This is the remake of the original. It came out in the 50s, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, and it's been remade at least once, if not twice since then. Most recently, I can think it was that Nicole Kidman version from about 10 mm. years ago, which was With pretty, Daniel Craig. pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but this is, I think, interestingly, it's a little bit like The Thing. The Thing was a remake. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think the 981 version remake is, is the definitive version of the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you for being generous and, and picking something fucking good. You're I love welcome. this movie. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> um, and not, think... to, not to lead, lead you on or anything like that, but, you know, Philip Kaufman, the director of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, he did do the story of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Okay. Suggestion there. (laughs) Well, we've got (laughs) Jeff Goldblum in here as well, so we could do the big chill. We could do the fly. The fly. What Earth Girls are Uh, Um, Oh, God. Uh, Oh, no, I know exactly where we're going next. All right, there we go. Exciting stuff, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, anyway, so you moving on? Mm. I think you've seen the new James Bond film. I have, yes. No. Now I'm seeing that. that very soon. So can you give us your spoiler three thoughts on I what will. you think of um, No Time to Die? Mm. This is a movie that has been waiting in the wings for a long time to come out. It was it's been sitting around for over a year. Yeah, and there are movies like. We mentioned it previously, Black Widow, which got bumped and bumped and bumped and then put out. And I think it's fair to say that we both ended up watching it and it felt somewhat stale. This movie, however, no, it does not. It is a bit of a long one, but overall it uses its time well. And it 
it's there's no secret to this being Daniel Craig's final outing as James Bond, and the whole thing really kind of hangs its hat on the audience knowing that. So it cranks everything up, and there's a lot of poignant deaths throughout the whole movie. Um, there's a lot of callbacks. There is a fairly persistent callback to the George Lazenby James Bond with the song, the use of we have all the time in the world and it isn't used cheesily or anything like that. It is actually used as this, as a kind of just a little final nail in that emotional bit that it is trying to be. There is a story element to it that is rather cliched, but they still manage it well, and I think overall it is a success. Um, I've heard some violently varying opinions on this. Like, mm. I've heard people say this is one of the best film, Bond films ever, right through to the other end of the spectrum, going, it's one of the worst. I can see why a lot of people would say both, honestly, because the action is largely very good. The actual story of it is interesting, but I don't think it quite goes far enough. And I think part of that is because there's a lot of unanswered questions about Rami Malek's um, Lucifer Safin. Um, he doesn't get much screen time, honestly. And his there's like James Bond, his ultimate foil is Ernst Blofeld. And in every incarnation of those, that pair, it's always chalk and cheese. Bond is always this um, you know, action guy, whereas Blofeld is the man who has the infinite amount of um henchmen to go around. And to a degree, they try and pull that off with this. But there's just lots of unanswered questions about Safine. And, well, that happened just because it needed to. Um, it doesn't go too far over the line with any of that stuff, but it's a missed opportunity for an actor who is much, much better than, than this role is written. Um, I will freely admit I loved the fact that I got to see Daniel Craig and Anna de Armas in, in the scene together because they were delightful in Knives Out and it was enjoyable watching them on screen again. And that night after watching No Time to Die, I went home and I watched Knives Out again because that's just an absolutely delightful movie. Um, Kari Fukunaga the director he actually does a very good job overall it's it's a bit of a long one but he... three hour two, almost a three hour bond film mm. who was asking for that yeah no one but i think daniel craig was because he is listed as one of the co-producers on this and i think that he wanted to make sure that he got the send-off that he wanted it definitely kind of feels that way. Um, what do you make of... Um, well, first question. Mm. I had someone actually ask me this before we came on the show tonight. I had 
uh, someone said to me uh, about thinking of seeing the film. If I was somebody who hadn't seen any of the Daniel Craig films, can I just jump in and enjoy this? Or should I see some of the previous work? You need to see previous movies. I know in the trailers we see well, like I know no spoilers here. You can see Christopher mm-hmm. Waltz's Blofeld in the trailers. We see uh, Leia Sadu's Madeline in the trailers. Mm-hmm. Um, they are both characters from Spectre. Mm-hmm. Um, so, would I, if I could I get away with Spectre alone, or should I go back to Christina Royale? Honestly, with the Daniel Craig Bonds, they tied the stories together so much uh, that you can muddle your way through but realistically like there are references to eva green's character um from casino royale yes and there's just persistent little nods throughout it like the 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 backstory for um madeline and her character that hinges so much on one of the main characters from quantum of solace and it's like, oh, no one really wants to go back and watch that movie. So it's like, okay, yeah, but no, but... Ugh. And it's interesting, it, it is a callback to uh, Her Majesty's Secret Service because mm-hmm. uh, that's one of the... I mean, Lazy Me is generally regarded as the worst Bond of all time, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, but... I've, I've never seen that one. Mm. Um, so I don't want to have to go back and watch that, but that's an interesting I think callback. a lot of the problems with people thinking about um, On a Majesty's Secret Service was because it did the cardinal sin. James Bond was happy and married someone. Action <gasps> men could be single, so they could sleep around with as many women as they'd like. Well, that raises the question, is there a place for Bond in the world today, um, considering the nature of his character? Um and we and there's been some controversy in the lead up to this that you know mm. um, we had um, Phoebe Waller Bridge do a rewrite or mm-hmm. sp- um, spice the script up a little bit, uh, mm-hmm. and that's been interpreted as being you know taking the edge off James Bond and um, that kind of thing. And we have Lashana Lynch playing 007. Mm-hmm. Um, does that mean you know they're going to have a female James Bond? What do you think? I think that the character of James Bond is a fictitious entity and therefore can be turned and converted to any bloody person in the world you just have to make it an interesting story use it if the if you do make if you gender bend james bond and make them female make that part of the story don't just do it and not mention it don't just do it and still tell a fucking bond movie actually make it part of the story and make it something that we want to invest in if you want to have a gay asian james bond then cool but make it worthwhile in the story there you go ladies and gentlemen rumor confirmed by george rupaul to be the next james bond i would watch the shit out of that money penny in this movie by the way is going to be played by dwayne the rock johnson I would watch for sure. Maybe you could get Chris Hemsworth back for that. He played a receptionist so very well in uh, Ghostbusters 2016. He could recover. He could get Kevin again. Uh, was it Kevin? I don't know. Um, yes. So um, I, I'm of the same opinion. But it, it, is, it will be interesting to see who they cast next. Um, you know, um, people talk about Tom Hardy, mm-hmm. Idris Elba. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a story kicking around that The Rock wanted to do it. Yeah, um, he's come forward and said that he wants to do it. And I have words about The Rock. 
An American James Bond would be very controversial. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, I'm not going to say much more on No Time to Die because I don't want to spoil it for you. And but you say this is a thumbs up from you, though. This is a decent James Bond. This is a thumbs up. Yeah, it's um, a an enjoyable movie, and it's one of the few James Bond, and I'm using that for all James Bond, where he actually gets to be act rather than just react to action and just be this suave ladies man he actually does get a chance to actually show that daniel craig can act <laughs> and it's like oh yeah i forgot he can actually do that that's cool <laughs> you know most of the bonds are still alive we could have a bond multiverse uh it'd be hilarious it'd be like spider-man uh <laughs> unfortunately we've got no connery or more but you know i'm sure we could see you i mean <laughs> the name is bond 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 It'd be well, like it's, it's, it's like those episodes we have over over Doctor Who's in the one episode. <laughs> um, I wanted to cover one more film that I know I'm pretty sure you and I have both seen because I think there was a, a more fun rather than just listen to one of us talk. I did you? Yeah. I'm pretty sure you saw Three Guy. Yes, I did. So this is one that you and I have both seen, um, mm -hmm. as I just noted, and so you can actually get some input from two people rather than just one um so this one again sat in the shelf for a little while i think it's been it um uh, shot last year i don't know when it's exactly supposed to come out but um it went straight to hbo max i think if i'm not mistaken but um yeah and then went quite to disney plus i think it was disney plus so my bad sorry anyway we're straight to the uh, a streaming service first um so this is a the ryan reynolds Grand Theft Auto interpreter in it's, it's Grand Theft Auto meets Ready Player One. A bank teller discovers he's really an MC NPC inside a brutal open world video game. This film is directed by Sean Levy, uh, written by Matt Lieberman and Zach Penn. Uh, Sean Levy, um, probably best known for his work uh, on uh, the, the Night at the Museum films, uh, the uh, Pink Panther movie. Uh, a Pink Panther movie, uh, Shrinky Thinks. So season one of that was good. The rest of it, not so much. Um, but anyway, uh, I guess Shrinky Thing is what got him this gig. Um, and it might be, might be, the best video game adaptation yet, even though it's not really based on a video game. <laughs> it, it is... I, I now feel like after watching this movie, I enjoyed it as well, but I am now glad that Ryan Reynolds is taking a sabbatical from acting because this is just, again, Ryan Reynolds being Ryan Reynolds slash a little bit of Deadpool. And he's very good at doing all of that stuff, and he's very charming and charismatic, and he can do action sequences, and he generally kind of brings the level of any project he's in up a couple of notches. But at the same time, it's like, oh, okay, okay, I need to not see you for a little while. I've got schoolyard syndrome with him. And it's like, I've seen him. He's now kind of falling into a little bit of that Johnny Depp phase of, okay, he's got a certain amount of characters. But that being said, yes, this movie is very entertaining. You you are right. We, we've seen Ryan Reynolds do this before. I mean, in a way, it's it's very similar to his Deadpool role. Obviously not a superhero film per se. And is less it's not r-rated um mm. but the whole thing's kind of a wink at the audience yeah 
Um, so we have um, Ryan Reynolds playing the role of Guy, uh, and he is a NPC, an NPC inside a, um, a video game. He mm-hmm. works at the back. Is it Free World? Free World, the game's called? Um, yes, I think so. Something like that. Uh, Free City, my bad. Free City, yes. Um, and uh, he works at the bank, and he goes through the same routines every day uh, mm-hmm. until he notices a character, uh, an in-game character. Is it Jodie Comer who plays her? Yes. Uh, plays the character of Millie, and she is his dream girl. Mm-hmm. And he follows her one day, and in doing so, manages to sort of break free of his his programming, in a sense, and become a, a, a sort of a, a hero inside the world. And uh, the um, human players in the game are, are, uh, stand apart from the NPCs by wearing sunglasses. Mm-hmm. So, uh, sunglasses people. And sunglasses people don't talk to us, which is actually mm-hmm. not true because, like, you do talk to a lot of NPCs yeah. uh, in video games. But he manages to pick up his glasses and realise that there's quite a bit more world going on in his world than he had previously expected. Um, there's a side plot between uh, it includes uh, Jodie Comer, who uh, is trying to, and her uh, partner, who are trying to um, uh, just feel like they're sorry. What's his character? Uh, Joe Keery plays his character Keys. They he uh, he works for the company who owns Free City. She's a player. They're trying to infiltrate the game as they fear that their code has been used to create this. Uh, mm-hmm. They sold, I think to the company who owns it, it's been used to create free world and they're sort of in a secret mission to try and uncover uh, their code hidden in their game. Uh, yes. The villain of a piece is played brilliantly by Taika Waititi as mm-hmm. Antoine, who is the, uh, the, the CEO of the evil video game company who is, you know, trying to um, steal uh, Millie and Keys' work and mm-hmm. kill Guy, Guy who becomes a global phenomenon from all the shit that he gets up to inside uh the game itself um because he he basically does nice things yes he's, he's, he doesn't kill people or yeah it's if i have a criticism of this film now it's mm. that the people who who wrote it or, or the people who decided to spice it up i think the original script was touched up by a few people mm. um probably zach Penn. that's the kind of thing he does um haven't actually played video games recently yeah. or ever Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea that, um, the idea that, uh, one dude doing some interesting things or slightly different things inside a video game would somehow make global news. Mm. Uh, I mean, I don't know if that's supposed to be a joke, um, but it didn't get, feel like a joke to me. Um, yeah. and so I'm kind of going, oh, eh, no. Um, and the idea of gamers being kind of, you know, basement dwelling incel slobs. Mm-hmm. is kind of a played out joke i think south park did that 10 years ago uh, you know um not really everyone seems to play games these days yeah especially uh, and, after lockdown um and the inclusion of twitch streamers or, um, was kind of nice though mm-hmm. in fairness i only recognized one of them and that was ninja um mm. the others i'm like oh i guess they're famous streamers i i really don't know who they are, so um, but just by being in the presence of someone like Ninja, I can only assume. Uh, if we have we got our co-host joining us by the looks of things? This is uh, just little Charles. Our, 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 our secret co-host. Yeah. 
Archimedes is now scared of going downstairs, so he stays downstairs. <laughs> he's scared of going downstairs. He is yeah. a giant dog who is scared of stairs, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> that kind of laugh, everyone. The um the the stuff that goes on in game doesn't really feel terribly authentic. It feels like that the idea of video games written by someone who doesn't actually play video games. Yeah. That's um, that's a minor quibble, really. Hmm. I will say there is one thing that I would have or two two game bits that I really wish that they had somehow managed to put in there. And one of them is just someone saying, Hello there, weary, weary traveller. Um and someone it's just always stuck with me from did you ever play the original Tomb Raider 2? No. Okay, so there was um, the training level on that. You could go to Croft Manor and you could go around and there was just this really ancient old butler that was just bumbling around slowly and you could lock him in the fridge and things like that. I kind of wanted to see something like that. That bumbling kind of co-assistant that just doesn't do anything and is just annoying. I feel like they possibly could have done that with uh, Little Rail Howery. Who played Buddy? Who is Guy's buddy? <laughs> I think that could have. I mean, I was thinking you would go with like an arrow to the knee somewhere in there. Um, That's true. That would have made sense to everybody. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, video game, you know, references. This is not a particularly original film. No. Uh, in fact, I've seen a number of people say, "Hey, this is the Lego Movie," um, and yeah. it basically is a very similar story to the Lego Movie. But I think it. Sets, sets itself apart from the Lego movie in enough ways that it still feels fresh enough and it, uh, and not derivative enough of the um, Lego movie that it really slows it down. But, mm. yeah, you think about when you saw Avatar and you're like, okay, that's just Pocahontas in space. Um, it's a very <laughs> it's a very similar story to that. Um, yeah. Disney have done – sorry, you're right, it was Disney Plus because I figured now Disney did some nice little bits once they got their hand on the property. Uh, mm. The fight scene at the end, including the cameo by – Chris Evans, which I think took, yeah. he was on set for 40 minutes or something because he was had no time um, to <laughs> in, shot the scene and left. Um, <laughs> that was very, very nice. Um, yeah. That whole sequence, the fight scene at the end. Um, I really enjoyed the character of um, Dude. Um, <laughs> catchphrase. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it, it was it was very funny. Um yeah, I enjoyed the film. It's a, it's this is what a popcorn film for me absolutely should be. Um, it's it's a little long and again like we're going mm -hmm. pushing two hours here, but this mm -hmm. is 155 minutes. This is about where it needed to be. So yeah. again, to go back to Shang Chi from earlier, if it cut 15 minutes out, 20 minutes it would have been just about this long. It would have been just on point. So this mm -hmm. is about how long I want to spend in a stupid dumb movie like this and just have a good time. Um, yes. Leave your brain on neutral. You'll, you'll, I think you'll enjoy it. Hundred percent agree. Absolutely. This is this is kind of um, this is just a snack movie. It's you. It's it does nothing especially good, but it does everything that it sets out to do. Charles, what are you doing? The, the perils of recording with children and animals, uh, it, they never end. Uh, we have a cat, a dog that's scared of stairs, a cat that doesn't want to stay in the room. Who would have thought of that? Um, He'll want to um, in a minute. 
So I, 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 I think, um, I think you're right to go back to your point on Ryan Reynolds. I, I think it's a good time. If you're a little overexposed. You've got Red Notice now on Netflix. It looks like he's doing the same thing again. Yeah. Um, good time to take a break uh, if you're not prepared to actually extend yourself as an actor and do something interesting. Yeah. If you if you want to keep doing the same thing, spread yourself out so people don't get bored of it. Uh, I think there's a definite chance of that right now. Mm. Um, and I'm not opposed to someone just doing what they're good at. I yeah. just think there's a fairly limited uh, appetite for that sort of thing. Mm. Kick back, enjoy your millions of dollars, go buy an island somewhere. You're married to Blake Lively. How bad can life be? Yeah. Oh, you make aviation gin. Okay, cool. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think he got out of that, but yeah, he did. <laughs> he's still the spokesperson for it, and I think he's okay. still one of the um, the CEOs for Minute Mobile or something like that. Uh, maybe he's going to go like um, Ashton Kutcher and go full entrepreneur. Maybe he'll start a podcast. You can come on our podcast if you'd like. We'll give him some tips. Um, on, man. <laughs> um, I wanted to quickly touch on uh, a, a little art house film I saw recently. But, mm. Yeah, I don't think you had a chance to see. Well, I don't think you have. It's called Night Tram. No, I have not. Not yet. So this is an Australian film. Mm-hmm. Um, Night Tram is Martin Backwards, by the way. Or Nitram. I don't know exactly how you're supposed to pronounce it. This film uh, chronicles the events leading up to the 1996 Port Arthur Massacre in Tasmania in an attempt to understand why and how the atrocity occurred. Now, this was um, up until, what, a couple of years ago when there was the the shooting down in Melbourne. This was, was this the one that was like the the biggest gun, gun death in Australia or something? Oh, it most certainly still is. There hasn't been a shooting in Melbourne. What are you talking about? It's... There was a car. There was a car that went. Oh, God, yeah, but that was. Yeah, he used a car, not a gun, and he didn't kill anyone near as many people. Oh, okay. <laughs> get your tragedy straight. Sorry. Just get your massacres in order, my friend. Uh, <laughs> they're completely different massacre. Um, oh God, <laughs> I am going straight to hell for that one. I am never getting back into the state of Tasmania. It's just not happening. Um, so speaking of which, this film was shot in Geelong um, because they couldn't shoot it in Tassie. I mean, I guess they could have, but, um, you know, I think the people in Tassie are just a bit like, yeah, too soon, and it was 25 mm-hmm. years ago. Um, so you are correct. Um, the Port Arthur Massacre happened in April 1996, mm-hmm. and uh, around 35 people were killed, I think, from memory. Um uh-huh. 35, 36, it was, was arguably um, one of the biggest massacres, uh, 35 in the world at that point in time. Mm. Uh, this film um, chronicles um, the story leading up to that. Uh, we have the character of Nitrum. Nitrum? Nitrum? Martin spelled backwards. It is Martin Bryant. Mm-hmm. So nobody refers to him as Martin in the film. It's the, One time he's called by name, I think someone calls him Nitrum which was actually Martin Bryant's a nickname that Martin Bryant had when he was younger in school. Okay. Um, the, the role of Nitram or Martin is played by Caleb Landry Jones, who is a name that didn't instantly ring a bell to me, um, but they, you might know him from X-Men First Class. Yeah, he, he played Banshee. Banshee. He was in Get Out. He played the brother, I think, Jeremy. Mm-hmm. He was also in Free Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. So he okay. is a tech Texan, mm. and I think he is someone to keep your eye on because mm-hmm. he was 
fucking extraordinary in this film. Extraordinary. Okay. If for no other reason than I, for, until I got out of the cinema and I looked him up, not for one second did I doubt he was Australian. He had the accent okay. on point. Meryl Streep, yeah, have a good like, a look at yourself. Like, you got, like, Dungo took my Barbie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the Caleb Lund Jones. Enough, your insult of Meryl Streep is the thing that will keep you out of heaven. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm sorry. You, ins- you, did, you did make a joke about a massacre. That was okay, but, you know, you, then you went on and insulted Meryl Streep, and that was just a step too far, my friend. <laughs> Get the fuck out. Um so look, I mean, I think keep an eye out for him. I, I think he's got some other stuff coming up that's quite interesting. He was in Finch, the Don Hanks film that came out recently on Apple. Mm-hmm. He is extraordinary in this film. The okay. he has a fantastic supporting cast. His mother, played by the great Judy Davis, mm. uh, the the you know legendary Australian actress. Um, you might know her from films like Naked Lunch, Barton yeah. Fink. Uh, more recently, uh, The Dressmaker. I think she did a, a Woody Allen film back in the 90s, Don't Mention the oh, War. She uh, was in Ratchet. Yeah, that's um, right. Anthony LaPaglia plays his dad. Again, an Australian acting legend. You, mm-hmm. you know, international audiences might know his face. He was in Empire Records. He was in So I Married an Axe Murderer. I mm-hmm. think he played a gangster in a movie in the 90s in, a, in, in a, one of those um, John Grisham movies. Don't quote me on that. But um, Ooh, he, did, he yeah. did do the... Um, the Hollywood thing back in the eighties and nineties for a little while. Um, yeah. And uh, he um, is he, and did more recently films, more Australian films like Lantana um, mm. back in the, around the turn of the century. And he's exquisite in this film as his dad. Mm-hmm. Um, the other standout role in this is Essie Davis, who as Helen, who is Martin's benefactor slash friend. Um, Essie Davis, you might best know from The Babadook from seven years mm-hmm. ago, one of the scariest films you will ever see. Fantastic uh, she movie. was also in Assassin's Creed. Sorry about she that plays, one. She plays Franny Fisher in the Miss Fisher Murder Mysteries as well, which is uh, great. If you are. So she's, she's a, an, again, an extraordinary Australian actress. Mm. Um, so what's wonderful about this film is we should know straight up, we never see the massacre itself. Hmm. Um, what we see is a film about people abdicating responsibility for dealing with a rather difficult person and where that can lead to. Okay. So we have the parents who just refuse to take responsibility and deal with Martin in a way that needs to be. They're sort of kicking the can down the road, so to speak, you know, kicking the problem onto somebody else, just not taking ownership or responsibility for the human being that they've produced and his behaviour. I mean, you know, there are token efforts for the film. This is my interpretation anyway. Mm. There are token efforts for the film to deal with him, but I don't think they ever really take their responsibility seriously in the okay. sense of at one point, well, mm, there's a particular scene between Martin and his father, which I will try to keep loose and give away too many spoilers in case people want to see it because I would mm. recommend seeing it. Where the mother just sort of stands back and lets it all happen. And you're like, what's up with that? That is not something, not a series of events you should be, a mother would normally be standing back and letting happen. She should be inserting herself in. Mm. Um, I'm being cryptic, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and Essie Davis's character, Essie Davis, he's based on, this is all real people, by the way. Um, mm. Essie Davis um, was based on a real person named Helen 
who was a, an heir to um, the Tattersall's family fortune. You'd be familiar with Tattersall's. Our Australian listeners would probably be familiar with Tattersall's. They um, Tats Lotto. Tats Lotto. They own Tats Lotto. Okay. Um, so they are, I guess, a gambling enterprise. Um, Tats, you know, I think they own betting. I don't know. Um, but um, <laughs> I don't know. I didn't even know that somebody owned Tats Lotto. How does someone own a lottery? Uh, it seems weird. Um, but that's where she cut her money from. But so she lived in a, um, she lived in this rundown mansion. Uh, Martin mm-hmm. turns up and offers to mow her lawns, and a friendship develops. Okay. The film doesn't really go down the rabbit hole of exploring whether or not it's anything more than a friendship, which is fine. Um, but she passes away, mm-hmm. and um, again in real life, was he involved? Who knows? Um, a film okay. certainly has an opinion on that. Um, uh, she leaves all her worldly possessions to him. She is he is her heir, and so right. he is a deeply damaged, and I guess one would say, what's the polite term? Developmentally challenged mm-hmm. uh, young man who has now access to something like half a million dollars okay. in inheritance in nineteen ninety. Imagine how far that would have got you in nineteen ninety six. Like today, mm. you'd be like. That gets you a shitty house in a shitty suburb of a shitty city. Ninety-six <laughs> gets a little bit further, um, mm-hmm. and right through to the him purchasing the guns, which he uses later in, mm-hmm. in a utterly chilling scene, where this gun store owner, matter of factly, sells him you know uh, an AR fifteen and a shotgun, and you know talks him through how firing it works, and you know how easy it is to use and stuff like that. You're like, knowing what we know as an audience, that's a spine-tinglingly awful scene. Uh, Even if you don't see him use them in anger, you know what they're going to be used for. Mm. Um, So this is, uh, some people might find this film slow or Mm. boring. Um, And, you know, if, if you're the kind of person who needs an explosion every 20 minutes or an action beat, you know, every 15, 20 minutes. And this is probably not the film for you. If you're mm. the kind of person who enjoys, I guess, enjoys this is the wrong word maybe, who can, who is interested mm. in getting inside the mind of some pretty damaged people and trying to understand some things that are virtually impossible to understand, then, mm. then maybe this is the film for you. If you like thoughtful film, if you like actually exploring topics that are uncomfortable, if you like feeling uncomfortable at the movies, um, yeah. Then, then this is. I know that sounds a strange thing to talk about, but like you know, I, I don't think cinema should always be about making us feel uplifted and excited. Mm-hmm. It, it should, you should get the gamut of emotions. Yeah. The, the director of his. Sorry, I, I was just going to say you. The way you're describing it, kind of. Does it have anything stylistically similar to Gus Van Sant's Elephant? I can see the connection in the sense that was, of course, a, the fictional, fictionalized version of the. Um, I I think it's a better film than than, than I enjoyed Elephant, um, Mm. but I think this is a better film. I think Elephant's weak spot is it did show the massacre, Mm. and and I think we don't need to see that. I I think that was Mm. maybe pushing the envelope of being a little bit excessive or exploitative or gratuitous. Mm. Um, This film, this is not about the massacre. This is what this is the story about what caused the massacre. We all know what happened at the after the after the uh, final shot of his film. Mm. Um, yeah, it, it, uh, it's not as fly in the wall. Zan, Van Zandt has a particular style, but, I mean, I can 
yeah it, it's it's probably not a, not a world away from that but i think this is a better film uh probably a more a better film to, to to compare it to if people have seen it would be the snowtown murders or your snowtown um okay. which was released in 2011 uh it is directed by justin kurzel um uh, who okay. directed this film as well um and maybe a lot of people haven't seen snowtown um it was a reasonably high profile-ish australian film have you heard mm -hmm. of the snowtown murders the bodies in the barrel murders no um, well if you want to rule in the evening there's a there's one it's a rabbit hole to go town <laughs> um it, I remember watching Snowtown. The thing about Snowtown that's interesting is that nobody is is likable. Like, I mean, it's like everybody is horrible, truly horrible, and they're all real people. They were all real people. Like, the, the killers okay. are obviously horrible. The people they mm. murder are equally horrible. Um, okay. So, in but Snowtown is a very uncomfortable viewing experience, and that's kind of what I felt with this one. Uh, he, Gerson Kurzel, also directed the Assassin's Creed film. Um, yeah. So. That's unfortunate. <laughs> so this is still, this has been controversial. A lot of people have said we don't need to have this film made about this event. This is why it couldn't shoot in Tasmania. Um, that's why it shot in Geelong. Um, but that was a little distracting for me. I know we talked about this before because it used to happen to you all the time in London. Mm -hmm. You just bump into people. You just walk on the sets like you owned it. Um, <laughs> um, oh, you know, hi, Johnny Depp and, and Leo DiCaprio. I'm just going to ride my bike through your set. Um, <laughs> um it was Robert De Niro. And um I don't uh, it's very I always say it's rare to see places I know on the screen. Mm. And there are it's a shot in Geelong and I grew up in Geelong. There's a couple of spots you're like, oh, that's North Geelong train station, They're right over the road there. That's the <laughs> arena. And yeah, like it's a couple of those moments you go, that's not Tassie. Um but uh, that, that unless you know Geelong really well, that won't affect you. Uh it's showing mm. it art house cinemas. I saw it at the Nova. Mm. Um I would say worth a look if you're interested in something. The anti-Marvel film, like mm. it's just gonna, you're not going to feel good walking out of this film, but it's it's worth seeing. So, does it? You said before that it had its opinion about whether um, Martin had anything to do with um, uh, Issy Davis' character's death. Does it? have an opinion on the rest of everything that happened or is it trying to be more uh, kind of somewhat sterile to the situation and just cold hard facts almost it's not it's not a document i wouldn't say this is a documentary style film mm. so this is not like you know Werner mm. herzog or something like that you know mm. so Werner herzog if you could if i could pick one person to narrate my life it would be Werner herzog that would be kind of cool. He is now <laughs> buying his third coffee of the morning. Um, <laughs> uh, what's not to love about that? You know, um, it would be great. Um, uh, sorry, it's inappropriate time to make a joke. Um, but um, if, if the film definitely does have a, a kind of opinion on, on I was sort of trying to say, but like, hmm. I think the film's saying that, that, that there were opportunities to stop this mm. all the way up to it happening. It was his parents. It was Helen. It was the gun store owners. And more of these people just sort of threw their hands up and said, I'm just doing my job kind of thing. Like, you know, the mm. gun store owner would say, well, I'm, yeah, I'm not here to police who buys guns. 
I just sell guns to who people who have the money for them. Why would your guy come in like who's a pretty weird dude want to buy an AR-15 and a shotgun? He seems to have no idea about guns and a bag full of cash. Now, mm. all of this kind of happens in the film. I don't know if that happened in reality, but it seems to stick pretty close to the real story. Mm. So mm. if it seemed to. And I was sort of going back to earlier to come back to his parents. Had they, you know, kind of not throwing their hands up and sort of going, not our responsibility, or taking more responsibility for their son. You know, I'm not saying it was their fault necessarily, because, I mean, who could foresee something like this happening? But it's sort of you know, all these points of failure. It's like, you know, have you ever seen Air Crash Investigation? I, I love that show. Um, one of my favourite shows to watch in a plane, by the way, is Air Crash Investigation. Um, <laughs> put it on your phone and your tablet and just enjoy. Um, no headphones, and- though. No, my, one of my, one of my, my a friend of mine says, if there are survivors at the start of the episode, just click next. Um, <laughs> you don't want any of that um, but if you watch one of those episodes, what usually happens with plane crashes is it's not one thing. Mm. You know, it's not obviously broken that crashed. What's well, this thing broke, but at the same time, this other thing was broken and the pilot was looking out the window and someone had a bad day. It's, it's, mm. it's a comedy, you know, it's a series of small things that lead up to something big. If that makes sense. Ruth Goldberg machine of murder. Kind of, kind of in a way. It's, it's kind of like these are all little events. These are all things that broke, which meant that this happened. Um, so <laughs> it's not necessarily saying it's their fault. They should have done this. They're not saying, hey, the gun store owner should definitely have stopped this guy from buying guns. It's just saying here are the little, the small sliding doors moments almost, the small mm. failures or bigger ones, including their parents. Mm. that have led to this man doing this unimaginably horrible thing. Okay. Okay. Uh, and maybe I'm probably doing a really bad job of explaining it, but um, it's uh, I can't recommend it strongly enough. The, the cast is exquisite for mm. Caleb Landry Jones's performance and mm. for, like I said, just support a film that's doing something different. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Otherwise, we'll get Jungle Cruise. <clears throat> More on that next week. <laughs> I look forward um, to that. Yeah, it's going to be so much fun. All right. Well, I think that actually uh, rounds us off to the. I end. think it's just on the. Fl- we don't want to keep going. We got a little bit. It means we still got more for next week. So you've got mm-hmm. Jungle Cruise. You've got Invasion of the Body Snatchers. We've got uh, possibly the Eternals. Hopefully, we'll see how we go. Um, I have a new season. Uh, the latest season of American Crime Story has just mm-hmm. wrapped up, uh, and I'd love to bring you to speed with what that was about. Okay. I There's... got to play 20 mm. minutes of Halo Infinite tonight. Oh, the multiplayer, you mean? You've got Game Pass, haven't you? Yeah, but I'm bad at games. Yeah, so am I. We can be bad at games together. All right, well... I was know, like, we'll... I literally... I got absolutely. I played. Jumped into a. It's only the multiplayer is available right now, mm. um, and I got up to the end and I got absolutely pantsed. <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> penned over and spanked. Like I'm terrible at these games, but it's kind of fun to jump in and try them out. See, I I just don't think I'll ever be able to beat m- my time playing the division where I just run through. C- instigate action and everyone behind me would have to deal with it <laughs> the other game i think you might have had a, a look at this one as well if i'm not mistaken but i picked up a game during lockdown called spirit fairer yes i played that yeah 
Um, we might even get some game content in next week if we have time. Goodness me, ladies and gentlemen, we spoil you. Welcome back. All of that jazz. Um, we'll see how the video and everything records because I, my video has been paused on my end for a long time and it just looks like I'm doing very inappropriate Wakanda forever or something. Uh, you're moving at my end, so let's just hope we... Oh, okay. um... Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Um, but thank you so much for joining us again. Welcome back to all of you who listen to us on podcasts. Make sure you do pop over and just check us out live because we will interact with you. We will talk to you. Um, it would have been cool to have some other people talk about um, Spider-Man's new trailer and things like that, but it is... You know, we are a long show, so, you know, the podcast where you can stop and start and not actually have to look at our faces may be the better way to go. But um, <laughs> I have a face for radio. That's what I've been told. <laughs> so, yeah, as Travis already talked, our chain movie next week is going to be the classic um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which is not on any of the legal streaming services here unless you want to rent it. Um we talked about the Spider-Man trailer, What If, Shang-Chi. We had our sponsors. Um, we talked about Ordinary People, No Time to Die, Free Guy, and Nitrum. Um, I think that was a pretty good show, man. I think that's a, that's a wrap. Thank you, everyone, for if, it, who, um, if anyone does tune in or watch this later or listen to a podcast. Mm. Um, I would uh, echo the call to jump on and have a look at this live. We'll be live 7 mm. p.m., Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time, you know, mm -hmm. it's probably about 16, 6 a.m. everywhere else in the world, but who knows? Yeah, you know, what better way to wake up in the morning at 6 a.m. than have an Englishman and an Australian talk about dark, gloomy things? That's what we do. <laughs> yes. On that note, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. Good night. Good night.